four turtles. Four brothers. Genetically reborn in the sewers of New York. Named after the great Renaissance masters. And trained as ninjas. Welcome to Now Playing's Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Retrospective Series. Major League Butt Kicking is back in town. Starring our podcast hosts on the half shell, Jacob. He's lower than scum. He gives scum a bad name. Of course he does. That's why I hired him. Arnie. A nine-year-old trapped in a man's body. And Stuart. I'm being punished, aren't I? Join us at NowPlayingPodcast.com each week for a new Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles review. I guess it's time for a little uh, cultural exchange, if you know what I mean. This podcast will contain detailed plot spoilers and mild language. Righteous Bossa Nova! Chevy Nova! Listener discretion is advised. It is time to seek our answers. And remember, go ninja, go ninja, go! <laughs> Today we're discussing TMNT, starring Nolan North, James Arnold Taylor, Mikey Kelly, Mitchell Whitfield, and because he must be in every comic book adaptation ever, Chris Evans, and Sarah Michelle Gellar, (laughs) directed by Kevin Monroe. This is Arnie, but you can call me Cowabunga Carvalho. Stewart in L.A. And this is your host in the half shell, Jacob. And so after three live-action movies, and then 14 years... The Turtles were back on the big screen in a cartoon. Do you guys remember this coming out? I remember being semi-interested at the time going, oh yeah, I kind of liked the Turtles when I was a kid and animation's where it's at. Yeah, you know, I thought, hey, if we're going to bring Turtles back, I didn't have fond memories of those live action movies, or at least the two I had seen. You could go back and listen to the last few weeks of my thoughts on those films. But yeah, I remember seeing the trailer for this, and it was just, it was nighttime in the city, dark. You had the turtles jumping around doing ninja stuff. I'm like, oh, maybe they're going to do a little bit more serious take. I could get on that. Never saw it in the theaters. Multiple times, it just sat on my shelf, and I got it from Netflix. I'm like, I'll get around to it. I want another movie. Send it back. I finally got around to watching it, so this is my second time, but I was intrigued by, hey, maybe we'll do a little darker take, and yeah, make it animated, get away from those silly costumes. Was this the kickoff to a show? Because the only reason I could understand why, after all this time, to do this, to make a movie that's actually more expensive than any of the live-action ones, 14 years too late... It's a head-scratcher. Unless this was kicking off a TV show like Clone Wars, that movie that came out, that (laughs) quote-unquote movie that came out, I can't think of why they did this. Why did they put this out in theaters? It clearly should have been a home video product. It was not a kickoff to anything. Coincidentally, in parallel development, 
a new Mutant Ninja Turtles series had started in 2003. And I went and I watched a few episodes of it. It was kind of a reboot to the continuity after that Next Mutation live action series that continued the movies. But that was not CG animation. That was standard cell-shaded type of stuff and no relation to this. This CGI creation had been in development. It was first announced in the year 2000. And believe it or not, John Woo was going to be the director. I can see that. Oh, so many dubs we missed out on. <laughs> Perhaps a mutated one. John Woo did produce some live action man in rubber suit kind of kid stuff. I remember that. Warriors of Virtue. I could see him getting involved in Turtles. And yeah, I'm glad he didn't make it if for no other reason than I don't have to review it. And it just kind of went around from studio to studio and finally it came around to imagine animation and kevin monroe the director of this he'd done some television stuff like hey arnold and he worked on the ant bully and he had a fondness for turtles and he became friends with peter laird who was one of the turtles co-creators and they finally got this happening and they thought with it being a comic book movie, they'd be able to do more and take them different places with a CGI film. And that had been the idea, again, since 2000, was doing a CGI animation. Because you got to think about it. Yes, this cost more than the other live-action Mutant Ninja Turtle films where they were literally swinging sausages. But in 2007, we're now in the age of full-on superhero films. To do what they do with Turtles in this movie live-action suddenly becomes $200 million. Well, we'll see what it becomes. We'll, we'll get to it in two weeks. But yeah, admittedly, this is still low budget. And uh, I guess if you were going to cautiously restart and see if there's still interest in a decades-old franchise, it's one way of testing the waters, dip the toe in there and see if people bite. Was it a hit? I kind of remember this coming out, and I don't remember any response to it, positive or negative. I do remember getting a pretty mediocre response. People are kind of like, eh, it's not as bad as those, again, those live action films. But no one seemed <laughs> okay. to be fired up. <laughs> hey, this movie, if it did nothing else, can we all cheer it for being the film to knock 300 out of the top spot of the box office? Wow. How long had 300 been out to, to be able to be knocked out by this, though? Three weeks. Okay. And right. this movie cost, you know, if you go by wiki numbers, about... 35 million to make it made 55 in the states and then 30 more overseas plus dvd it was a success it was profitable but it wasn't a hit that they immediately needed to make more of yes it's been over a decade since we're getting another theatrical release (laughs) (laughs) at this rate i feel pretty good whether i love or, or hate the reboot i won't have to worry about picking up another one at least until i'm in my 50s I mean, we've had as many Spider-Man origins in that same time frame. <laughs> no, no. I mean, this movie came out in 07, so seven years. Oh, this. Oh, okay. This is 07. It started in 03, the development. Yeah. Okay. Now, the thing that excited me about this, though, was that I'd heard before it came out, this was going to be basically part four of the movie franchise. There were some liberties taken, but... I was very interested to see, well, whatever happened to Super Shredder with that doc? Did the ninja rap take off? These were the types of questions that got me to watch this when it was on HBO or Encore or whatever channel many, many years ago and half-heartedly pay attention. And I'm like, Shredder's not even in this? 
Yeah, he doesn't even get an animated scene. It's just like, here's a still photo. Shredder's <laughs> gone. Remember him? He's dead. They killed him. We're going to get something even great, a greater evil is what I'm promised here, which wouldn't be that hard, quite frankly. No, it's Patrick Stewart. <laughs> yeah, you could put a tin hat and some steel gloves on anybody, and it would be just about as frightening as what we've had in the previous version. I will say it was the voice cast that kind of brought me in here, though. I mean, I knew Patrick Stewart was in it as something. I kind of coming in thought he might have been Splinter. <laughs> and Sarah Michelle Gellar, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, as April O'Neil. Come on, Lawrence Fishburne as the narrator? <laughs> For like three lines? Yes. <laughs> well, that opening narration was tacked on in post, and he might have just been walking outside asking people which credit card they're using. So he's a good voice to have. But no, I was interested in this. I remember when I found out it was some new villain. My interest in the movie waned, and I like started organizing my DVD collection rather than pay attention. So this is kind of my one and a half time watching it. That's right at the <laughs> beginning, Arnie. <laughs> well, yeah, it didn't take long. <laughs> Literally, like, 30 seconds. I have a large DVD collection, okay? It took me a good while to alphabetize it. Well, I hope it doesn't take you as long to organize a plot, Arnie. Uh, give it to us, quick and dirty. Okay. Around a thousand years BC, an Aztec warlord named Yaddel discovered that once every 3,000 years, the stars of Kikini align, opening the doors to unknown power. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> no, not opening the doors to Jesus. Oh, this is already... Okay. <laughs> Sorry. This plot is so bad it could be a Thor movie. <laughs> <laughs> and you recommended the second one, which was the worst one. When Yaddle opens the portal, he is granted immortality, but the cost was his generals were turned into stone and 13 monsters were unleashed upon the earth. Fast forward to 2007, and that immortal Aztec is still alive, living as a wealthy businessman named Max Winters. Having lived for 3,000 years, Winters realizes that man is meant to die, and when the stars once again come into alignment, Max sees a chance to end his time on Earth. But to do so, he must first gather his stone generals, as well as the 13 mutant monsters on the loose. To gather the generals, which have been spread across the world as statues, Winters hires April O'Neil and her boyfriend Casey Jones. She's no longer working as a reporter, but now runs a company that acquires rare antiquities for collectors. The hunt for one of the Stone Generals leads April to Central America, where she meets up with Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle leader Leonardo. Leo was sent by his rat ninja master, Splinter, to Central America to hone his fighting and leadership skills, but he has not yet felt worthy to return to the sewers of New York. But April knows the turtles are lost without their leader. Goofy Michelangelo spends his time putting on a turtle head to entertain kids at parties, Dorky Donatello is telephone tech support for an IT company, and Raging Raphael, well, no one knows quite what he does, but he's donned armor and goes out in the night, a lone vigilante. After April's visit, Leo does return to New York, and just in time as Winter's plan starts to take hold, Winter's hires the Foot Clan, which has become a band of mercenaries led by Karai since the death of Shredder. The Foot Clan is to find the 13 monsters, and then Winter's generals will apprehend them, bringing all the creatures to the designated spot for the alignment. During the chase for the monsters, the turtles get in several fights with the rampaging mutants and investigate the source. But meanwhile, Winter's revived stone generals start to get nervous, realizing Winter's plan is the death of them all. As such, they let the 13th monster go free and, instead, capture Leonardo, figuring Winter's will not be able to differentiate between the mutant turtle and a creature from another dimension. Which he can't. 
But the other three turtles, plus April and Casey, realize the portal is going to open right above Winter's skyscraper. So with the aid of Master Splinter, who's incredibly spry for an old rat, they invade Winter's tower fighting off the Foot Clan. When Winter's full plan of ridding Earth of the Beasts and ending his own immortality is revealed, April and Casey join forces with the Foot to find the 13th monster while the Turtles and Splinter fight off the Generals. When Casey and April return with the Beast, the portal opens, the General and Monsters are sent back into the parallel dimension, and Winter's is more than happy to finally be at peace. And now reunited as a team, the Turtles scream cowabunga as credits roll. A long plot for... A fairly short movie, and I knew right from the get-go, though, the first time I watched it, this plot wasn't going to be what I wanted. When I see what basically looks like a cutscene from Diablo 2 taking place a thousand years B.C. Yeah, it's weird because we start with the turtles running through the rooftops of New York, and then we totally forget about them. The real story does not involve turtles at all. It's Yodel and... Yeah, a brotherhood and stars of Keekin and 13 monsters and <laughs> oh lordy, why? Yeah, you know, the, the first 15 seconds, I'm like into it, cool ninja stuff from the trailer. And then it, it almost turns into what, what the Scorpion King, that mummy spinoff where it can't just be about a mummy. Now it's about some ancient armies and they're fighting and taking over the world. And now there's 13 monsters. I thought there was these warriors, but they're gone. And now there's monsters. Re- I don't know. This, this too much. Why is it like this? We're going to get the Foot Clan later on. Why is there so much stuff going on? Like, you got to be a kid with ADHD to get into this plot, because I can't get into it. There's way too much for me to focus here. And you must not care about turtles, because the focus is not on your heroes at all. It is a strange plot to start off with. Now, they did have a different opening originally that focused more on the turtles, and all of this backstory was supposed to come out in the middle of the movie. Patrick Stewart was going to reveal all of this. And they decided that was way too confusing, so they cut the opening of the Turtles down to the bit we see with Lawrence Fishburne's narration, and then explain the entire story, removing any mystery from it, just for the sake of clarity. And while it's not the opening that's going to pull me into a movie that I came to see Mutant Ninja Turtles, and you're showing me... World of Warcraft here, but I do admit, watching the rest of the movie, we'd be sitting here going, who the hell is Yaddle and what is going on? So it truthfully does succeed in making it more clear. That's fine, but there's stuff here that doesn't need to be here. Why are there 13 monsters in this movie? I'm just going to ask that right now. Why couldn't this be about Yaddle bringing his stone generals back to life? 13 monsters that, quote, still plague mankind to this day. Uh, that no one's heard of. I've had no problems from any of these 13. They can stay for another 3,000 years. I have no beef with these monsters because they've done nothing in their time here to make them a threat that needs to be vanquished. Actually, they have. Okay, what cutscene are you referencing now? I didn't <laughs> Were they responsible for making the original movie? <laughs> I didn't get it from watching the movie. But thanks to the director's commentary, I see what they were going for. These monsters are supposed to be monsters from urban legend. We're supposed to have a Bigfoot and the Jersey Devil. And I I thought the Jersey Devil was Snooky, but apparently it's something in this movie. And all these various monsters are supposed to be from various myths and legends and that they've plagued us for 3,000 years, but because they're just not seen too often, I guess, we think of them as legends and myth. If you wanted to know more about this, there were five 
prequel comics that I read based on the director and writer's notes about their backstory for this movie. And it describes about how Splinter didn't want them to be interfering in the world of man. It turned out, much like the cartoon series, there were tons of alien animal creatures that the turtles could fight, but they just couldn't help man, and that's what pissed off Raphael. It actually had the first appearance of one of the monsters, and Donatello discovered there were 13 strange creatures on the planet. But then his machine broke, and they figured they'd never know. Yeah, why didn't they bring that into the movie then? Because I thought, okay, if you're going to do these monsters and they've plagued us, yeah, one's a Yeti, one's a Bigfoot, one's Loch Ness. Okay, I'm there with the director. Why isn't that in the film then? Like, that's a headline you could show to to make that connection. Very simple thing to do. But still not convinced you need these monsters. Because the monsters aren't a problem in the story that unfolds. Ultimately, the story that occurs, the one that involves the turtles, is the turtles must fight this brotherhood. That, for reasons I'm not entirely sure of, Yaudel opens a portal that makes him live forever. His brotherhood turned to stone. I didn't think they had a hall pass to fix that in 3,000 years, but apparently (laughs) if he gets the stars of Keegan, he can unfreeze them in 3,000 years in modern day, and once he does that, they become the villains. Really, this is a story about unhappy brothers, and I think they're meant to parallel the Turtles themselves. The Turtles have a very dysfunctional relationship at the beginning of this movie. It's meant to mirror their villains, the Brotherhood and Yaddle. Where 13 monsters fit in, I don't know. They're just fun to look at, and they (laughs) give us some exciting scenes, but they aren't in this plot. They're not a problem that must be vanquished. That's true. I didn't actually put it together, but you're right, because in both of these situations, the Turtles and Yaddle, they're separated. The leaders have left their armies 3,000 years ago. I don't think that Yaddle knew that that portal would make him immortal and turn his generals to stone. He just heard power and, you know, it was a thousand years BC. That's about all it took. Power is there. So he went and, you know, kind of one of those Faustian deals. He didn't realize what he was getting, but he now has to get his generals back together in order to... To die, right? Go into the afterlife. Yeah, yeah, he's tired of the, living. The point of this movie is for them to die. <laughs> yes, to undo the mistake. I mean, you gotta think... I can kind of see the melancholy of immortality. Everyone you love dies around you. You keep going. I get that, except for the most of this film, we're supposed to believe he's the bad guy. We we don't get to see him on that level, feel sorrow for having to live forever and the, the sorrow that comes with that. Most of this film, we're supposed to see Yaddle as the bad guy. We think he's bringing back the brotherhood so they could take over the world again like they were 3,000 years ago. True. And why wouldn't he do that? If, if he's so concerned about getting the statues, that's the beginning of this plot. April is going around getting the Brotherhood back together so that he has them when the portal opens again in modern times. Why would he be assembling them unless it is to do something with his old crew again? To assembling them to die, well, they're already dead statues. They're not living. It's not very clear. I kind of thought everything that was there in the beginning had to be there in the end for him to die. Yeah, he wanted to break the spell so he could die. So I, yeah, that's how I did take it, Arnie, that he had to collect the monsters and I guess the Brotherhood so he could eventually die, He grow old and pass away. Either that or he just needed the Brotherhood to get the monsters because the foot wasn't very good with that. I know that this animation was done in a foreign country. I'd like to believe the script was done in a foreign country and then mistranslated (laughs) into English. That's how it plays. It makes 
literally no sense in my language. And so I'm not going to judge it by that. Well, you should judge it by that because all the script writers were here in the States. I groan at this plot. I don't like this plot. I only need to understand this as a kitty adventure. I'm here with my kids, my five-year-old, my seven-year-old, my 12-year-old, and we just want to have fun again as a family. This doesn't have to be meaningful for me as a story. It just needs to serve the turtles. That's all that I really need this to be. If we have an animated adventure in which the turtles get to have action like I've never seen before, then I think we're all going to be okay. And that's kind of where I'm coming in from it at as well, is the first time I watched it, I kind of wanted to relive my teenage fandom and see them fight against Shredder and just see some animated moves so that they'd move better than people in foam suits. This time, though, watching it, having just watched them, yeah, I don't need that. I just need a good turtle tale. And it takes them a little while to get to the turtles, but I like how they start with them kind of scattered. They're all in their different ways. We're first introduced, and this was a little bit of a turnoff, I think, the first time. Leo is in Central America. So we started with the Aztecs, which admittedly, Central America. But then we come to modern times in Central America, and Leonardo is protecting peasants from banditos like... The single amigo. I take them as rebels, you know, the lots of issues going there, even today, you know, with drug lords and that. I like this opening. I like, you know, I thought it would be Raph in the jungle. This seems kind of vigilante for Leo, but I like this, that one of the turtles is off on their own doing this, uh, you know, ghost of the jungle thing. Yeah, Leo has become Predator and April has become Laura Croft. Who would have thought? <laughs> <laughs> Here is the weird thing for me, because April finds Leonardo, and we find what Splinter sent Leonardo out to Central America to become a better leader. So he says. That's what he says. I think he just yes. wanted a, a more extra room on the couch to sit and watch soaps. I have a <laughs> lot of problems with Splinter in this movie. A great deal, but we'll get there. Well, here, here's my problem. Like, there is a scene towards the end of the film. Leonardo's gonna get caught and they're gonna think he's one of the monsters. He, it's right after a fight with Raph, where he tells Raph, I am better than you. Dude, you just spent like a year in the jungle learning to be a leader. I feel like that's the opening scene. Have that breakup. I, I don't know why Leo is off learning to be a better leader. I don't, why is it a bad thing that Michelangelo and Donatello, they have jobs. They're helping pay Splinter's cable bill so you can watch those soaps. Like, I guess I wish I had a sense of where the turtles were before this breakup. Like, why is it that being tech support such a bad thing compared to, I don't know what they were doing before because Splinter wouldn't let them go out and fight. Like, that's been the conflict, I feel like, in all of these films. They want to go out and fight. Splinter says they're not ready. And so I I like this idea of Leonardo as the ghost of the jungle. I'm just, I wish there was a better sense of where the turtles were before he left. What, prequel comics aren't enough for you guys? Oh, back to the prequel comics. It describes Leonardo going all over the world. It wasn't just to Central America, but he went to Japan and the Arctic and all these places on this mission. Did you enjoy them? They were more violent than this movie by far. For example, I was a little weirded out when Leonardo comes across the boat full of Asian children about to be sold into the sex trade. I kid you not. No. Oh. Who published this? <laughs> Mirage Comics. Okay, so it's still the original publishers. Yeah, they did one for each turtle plus one for April, and they got exceedingly less interesting. Well, here's my take on it. This is 
30-something Mutant Ninja Turtles. They're not teenagers anymore. <laughs> there has been like a whole gap in between when they were teenagers waiting to go be cool and then where they're at now. Their 20s, they probably were the team that we wanted to see kicking ass in New York. But now I feel like, yeah, this is not a youthful posse anymore. These are 30-something maturity sucks kind of dead soul turtles who are looking to revitalize. It's almost a midlife crisis they're having here at the beginning. I agree with you in certain regards. I think that now they're supposed to be basically 18 or 19. They're still teenage mutant ninja turtles. But I kind of like that it had been a long time. If you take away the comics and you take away the couple different short-lived TV series they did. It had been a while since they'd been in the mass consciousness. So this was a chance to say they just drifted apart in those years. Now what they were just going their own ways, and this is a getting the band back together kind of picture. It makes sense to me to do that after such a long hiatus from theaters. It seems like the right story. Why did Leo go off to Central America to become a better leader? What motivated that? Why was he not a good enough leader? I don't need to see that. I like that we start with them all off on their own quests. And yeah, I like Leonardo in Central America. Mikey and Donatello, they're funny. I do think Mikey gets perhaps the single best action scene when he's skateboarding back from his gig. I mean, that is some amazing computer-generated imagery. And of course, Raphael's back doing what he did the first movie. He's out being a vigilante on his own. Yeah, he's still angsty. They need to get this guy some Prozac. I, I don't think he's ever getting past this without medicinal help. It's hard to get laid when you're a mutant turtle, okay? That's what he really <laughs> needs. He's not doing anything that Leo's not doing, which is why it's weird that he's persecuted for being the Night Watcher. And Leonardo, it's cool that he's the ghost of the jungle. I don't get that. I also don't get why you're a better leader when you're off alone as a vigilante. A better leader is someone that's leading, that's working with people. And he's not helping these villagers. He's hiding in the treetops and taking out the bandits that are blackmailing them. But he is not helping them thrive. He is not leading the charge. It feels to me like there's some Confucius saying, in order for one to lead, first one must learn how to follow, or something like that. Something the Sphinx would say in Mystery Man. Something that Splinter would say when he wants them to shut up so he can watch his soaps. Yeah, that's <laughs> what I think. But Raphael, I mean, he is a bit more violent. He's wearing the giant metal suit of armor. Now, per the prequel comics... The Night Watcher was a really old dude who used to fight crime like 40 years earlier, and then he just became too old, and then he was upset by the crime on the streets, and he and Raphael shared that passion of not liking criminals, and so he took Raphael back to his secret lair. He called it the Sanctum Santorum. Which Wait, that's Doctor Strange. Yeah, I, his name was not Doctor Strange. It was something less interesting, but... He died and asked Raphael to avenge him, and Raphael took all his gear. Lucky enough, his outfit fit a turtle. It was a human? Yeah. That's where Raphael got the motorcycle, too. Oh, I don't know if those are answers I needed, but okay. You didn't. I didn't need to read them, but it <laughs> at least filled in the gaps. Some of them. But no, I don't think what he's doing is wrong. He's doing what they all want to be doing the key is what is his motivation for doing it leonardo did it to protect people Raphael's out doing it i mean he is in the end protecting people but is he doing it just because he's angry and needs somebody to work his wrath out on i, I feel like we're 
getting back to Stewart's concern with the first film. Is it better to have one vigilante beating dudes up or to have a gang? Like, shit, all four. <laughs> but yeah, what's the problem with the Night Watcher? That, especially in this universe where there are mutant ninja turtles that have killed a dude that looked like a cheese grater. Like, they call that out at the beginning. Like, there are evil people in this New York, more evil than real New York. I, I don't see what the problem is. I don't know why Splinter, you think he want the turtles out there at night. Let him catch up on Days of Our Lives <laughs> while they fight crime. Maybe he doesn't have TiVo. <laughs> yeah, I don't get Splinter here. That is, All of this is his fault. The only reason Leo is in South America is because Splinter told him to go there. And the only reason why the other ones aren't out fighting and being a team and liking one another's company is because Leo left them. So all of this is at the foot of that damn rat. <laughs> I didn't necessarily see that as a huge issue, but you pointed out that way. Yeah, that is kind of the case. I mean, what are they going to do? They have to live in the sewer anyway. He's kind of a father figure. I actually like some of the camaraderie, though, between them. There were a couple cut scenes about how Splinter has a sweet tooth and Mikey keeps sneaking him pieces of birthday cake that made it a little bit more fun and made Splinter feel a little bit more like one of the gang than it does here. Yeah, you know, here's what I actually think. I like your idea that, yes, if it's been a long time since we've seen the Turtles, let's start with them in different places in their lives and coming back together. That seems to be the right instinct. They shouldn't all be living in the sewer. I feel like maybe only one of them is living with Splinter and that the others are doing other things throughout the world. If you got to get them back together, three of them shouldn't all be living in the same house still. Yeah, I could use a little more complication here. You know, forget these 13 monsters. Yeah, split them up. Have them be in different boroughs in New York, you know? Yeah, it's just a weird message saying we're not a team anymore, but we're all still living together. And the only reason we're not a team is because dad threw one of the brothers out. Yeah, I, I get where they were going, but they didn't get far enough. And that's sort of what I see here. But yeah, you know, Mikey has always gotten by on the charm. It's kind of funny that he's Cowabunga Carl. I always feel bad for Donnie because I've just never felt like in any movie he's ever made an impression. Were he not voiced by Corey Feldman, I don't think I would have ever paid attention to him. You guys say he's a smart one. I guess turtles just don't need a smart member. They just, that intelligence is not valued in this world. He just, he never has an impact. Well, he's making money doing tech support. I mean, he's less of a layabout than Raph appears to be. But I want to credit this movie for modernizing the Turtles a little bit. Because in the first movies, we talked about how Michelangelo and Donatello really were completely indistinct. And this became an even bigger problem for me when I went back and rewatched that kitty cartoon from the 80s about how really they were all these goofy, cowabunga, pizza-eating turtles. Here... They've kept that spirit, but they've really limited it to Michelangelo. Michelangelo, and they made him more of a surfer now. Instead of just random stuff, he's calling people bra and all of that. And the rest, they're not doing the pizza-eating, jokey kind of thing that we've seen all the Turtles do. Even in this one, I think Donatello gets his own persona here. And while the movie definitely focuses most on Leonardo and Raphael... All four are finally distinct characters to me. Yeah, I, except Donatello. Yeah, he has a distinct voice. He is the most bland here. Like, this is Leo and Raph's story. Mikey, he has some funny lines. He's goofy, so he sticks out. Besides a scene with Donnie uh, doing tech support, I don't recall much of anything that he does throughout the rest of this film. I also wouldn't have predicted that April and Casey would have lasted, or that she would have gone ninja. <laughs> yeah, okay, Re let's bring up continuity. 
Like, if this is the same continuity as those films, it's like, news reporter, okay, she becomes Laura Croft, she becomes Indiana Jones. Sure, investigative journalism, I guess it's similar, investigating artifacts, but she is a full-fledged ninja by the end of this film. She is fighting the Foot Clan, come on, (laughs) this is not in continuity. It is, many years have passed now. All right, with the word... It takes more than a, a couple years to become a ninja. In regards to continuity, it is a loose continuity. And we've seen this before. I would call this like the Halloween H2O kind of continuity, where it's not going to follow every morsel of detail from every installment. They didn't keep Splinter's ear cut off, which was one of the trademarks from the others. But the director joked that, well, the rat had some plastic surgery. In the director's mind, though, this was a continuation of the spirit and the characters from those original three movies. Later in the movie, you get to go in and see their little trophy closet. You see Splinter's armor from part two, as well as the bottle of ooze from part two. The director always envisioned this as just a mild course correction but in the same universe. And so in that time, he did take April O'Neil, who was only a TV reporter in the 80s cartoon, and gave her a different background. She was a scientist in the comics. She was a reporter for TV. Now she's a antique dealer who's taken some martial arts classes. You know, I like this. My five-year-old girl likes to see positive female role models on screen. <laughs> and I do think it's important that when you're making kids entertainment, that you are cognizant of how you're presenting gender roles, race roles, all that stuff can feel pandering in an adult movie. It's important to stress in the kids' movie. And that's what they've done here is that they've said that women can kick ass just as much as boys, that April can be just as good at going out and being a crime fighter as anybody else, including her boyfriend. In fact, she might be better than Casey at this point. Casey's a bit of a lost case. Now, I can speak to this a bit more because I've seen the cutscenes. This movie was really originally a lot more about April and Casey and their romance and their little lover spat because he still goes out with the hockey masks and she would like him to stay home and be safe and deal with antiques, but he really has a little bit of that Raphael with him. She's Laura Croft, and she's concerned about her boyfriend being safe. Yeah, she's got dealing with banditas down in Central America. I would much rather be on a rooftop in Brooklyn, but okay, whatever. (laughs) They cut a lot of this out, but yeah, Casey Jones, voiced by Chris Evans, he was my favorite character from the live-action movies, and here, he does really feel a little bit neutered. Yeah, he doesn't do much here. He feels like he doesn't have a job, he's living off April's money, and he doesn't really do anything. He he seems like a bad boyfriend, really. Yeah, I don't even get, like, eventually he runs into the Night Watcher, and he doesn't get that it's a turtle. Like, he's been hanging out with the turtles for years, hasn't he? Like, is Casey just becoming a vigilante in this, or has he been doing it a while? He's... Another character, just like those 13 monsters, I think you could throw him out of the mix, too. Yeah, again, it reinforces the strangeness that Raphael is going to be persecuted for taking the initiative to be a solo vigilante when their friend Casey has been doing his gig all along. They argue. Basically, Casey spends the whole time arguing with Nightwatcher about who's the real sidekick and who gets to be the main guy. So, again, I have a little bit of pity here for Raphael because I feel like he's stigmatized as the troubled one, that he's always causing the problems. I don't see it in the storyline, but I I can say that I think the storyline ultimately makes him look like a villain, a real ass here. Raphael? Yes. Hmm. Interesting. We'll we'll get to that. But as for Casey not recognizing Raphael, Jacob, I was with you. I thought when they 
first meet up that Casey knows. He makes this comment like it's obvious that he's Raphael. But then later on in the movie, I'm like, is Leonardo really dumb? Because he fights the Night Stalker and doesn't know. (laughs) And then again, director's commentary had to explain this movie to me, which... All right, admittedly, it's not doing the movie any favors when I have to ask the director questions, but apparently Casey didn't know either until he takes the mask off, and then he's just trying to fake it, and that's why Leo didn't know later. But I don't know, this is a movie that went through some post-production changes, and certain things just don't quite make sense to me, but... I do like seeing Casey back in the hockey mask. I like seeing him back up on the rooftops with Raph. It's taking me back to that first movie, which until this one has been my favorite. Yeah, I, I will say I love the Night Watchers design. I, th- I think it's cool. There's always this mecha turtle in the cartoon and in the comics, and it kind of reminded me of that. But as far as the animation goes, I don't really like the human designs. Casey, April, Korai, like the Foot Clan, they're too spindly. They're too skinny. It's a weird look. For Casey, I'm like, this dude's a vigilante. He's a 95-pound weakling. This is Steve Rogers before he's taken the Super Soldier Serum. Yeah, I like the background, and I like the action pretty much. The It's not quite bullet time, but they do a lot with perspective where they'll kind of spin around, and we'll see something from 180-degree difference very quickly. All of that is good, but the character design, yeah, I Bratz dolls. That's what I just kept thinking when I saw these humans. It just... <laughs> Not good. <laughs> yeah, not convincing. And and it's hard to do human. I've always felt that is true. It's hard to make humans look right in a world that's populated by anthropomorphized creatures. That's true in any Pixar movie. It's just, it's hard to do. But I don't feel like the human characters fit in well here with the turtles. I did think Pixar quite a bit. You know, the early Pixar designs like Toy Story, when the focus was really on the creatures, but you still had some of the people. But even some of the designs here also made me think a little bit of like the Incredibles or something when it came to the humans. I really ended up going with the style here, very over the top, for everybody except one person, and that's Patrick Stewart. And that's because his voice is so iconic. And I know it so well yes. that he needs to be an old bald dude. <laughs> when you put him in the body of what looks like a late 30s, early 40s guy with a full head of hair who's built kind of like a Fred Flintstone type, it was really anachronistic. But he's immortal. He should remain young because he's Yowdle. He never aged. I get that. Then get a different voice. <laughs> Sure. Yeah, with that voice, I associate him so much with Professor X now. Like, I'm like, why isn't he in a wheelchair? Why is he barrel chested? I'm thinking that voice is really weird when you know the voice actor versus this character design. And that's something Pixar really does is I find that they voice to type. You won't find a voice that is so completely disparate from the person they're doing. So... I just think that that one threw me just because it's not at all what I would envision. If I look away from the screen, I'm hearing Captain Picard. I look back up (laughs) and I'm seeing, God, who is it he looks like? I kind of thought about Patrick Warburton. You know, he did the tick and all of that. Yes, that's it. That is it. Yeah. I was thinking of the character he voiced in, what, The Emperor's New Groove as another big barrel-chested character. And yeah, that's right. There was the tick that he played. Yeah, he does a lot of voiceover animation. Why wouldn't they get him? I guess, you know, let's not diss Patrick Stewart. He's got a great voice. You'd want to use him somehow. But you're right. They didn't use him correctly. 
But as far as the designs go, I mean, it's a little bit weird. The turtles have tongues. You can see inside their mouth. There's a lot of detail to it. And I'm iffy on some of the CG animation at times. But overall, I ended up liking the aesthetic of this as a mixture between a realism and cartoon. I think they're able to do things with this animation that they couldn't do, both in terms of PG-13 violence with a lot of kicks to the face and a lot of the action, like running over moving vehicles and things, that this really frees them up to do it on a small budget. And some of the scenes are exciting when they get that first battle against the Foot Clan and the big wildebeest or whatever it is. There's a lot of good camera movement and body movement that I have trouble getting excited for fights in animation, but this did okay. My kids liked it. I was less into it. But yeah, I think that it does unify the ages. Uh, my little girl liked the fact that the foot's now led by a girl, and uh, my boys thought it, it was exciting. It even won the 12-year-old back, begrudgingly. He wanted to pretend like he was too old for this, but I could see it in his eye. He had some fun with the fight scene. Yeah, these fight scenes are pretty good. You know, you Arnie, you called out that skateboarding scene early on with Mikey. There's a motorcycle scene with Night Watcher that I thought was pretty good. With This is, obviously, I mean, it's not guys in foam suits. They're able to do more. And for a PG film, I don't watch a lot. I don't know what the level of violence is. But, you know, this is keeping me as maybe not an adult, but maybe regressing a little. These are the turtles that, the kind of action that I remember liking. I, I could get into some of this stuff. The action's okay. The plot to get all the monsters back. I saw a real recall. Did you guys pick up the Ghostbusters whiff? I thought it was pretty heavy throughout this movie. Oh yeah, I definitely got that. The montage. You almost needed the busboys singing cleaning up the town. They even do the clouds, you know, the Ghostbusters yes. clouds like around Dana's apartment. Yes, exactly. And and even in I remember in Ghostbusters 2, it's a joke that some of them entertain children's parties that as their former selves. I feel like yeah, this movie does take a lot from the Ghostbusters universe. I don't know why though. And if you're going to have a group of four people fighting supernatural demons in New York, you could do worse than Ghostbusters. You could. Even Ghostbusters 2, I agree. <laughs> I cannot go there with Ghostbusters 2. I don't know. It's been a while since I saw that, but... I like Ghostbusters 2 more than this movie. Let me put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> like I said, it's been a while since I've seen that. I don't know if I want to revisit it. But, Stuart, you're talking about you like the strong female characters here instead of these monsters that we got the foot clan they've come back they're led by another female we got april the ninja and now we got karai the ninja and she's shredder's daughter if you don't know that from the eu materials oh is that in the director's commentary too i don't think i caught that in the film no that i learned because i watched some of the 2003 tv series and things but yes she is shredder's daughter in most continuities. I would have guessed that, though. How else would she take the role, quite frankly? I mean, who's going to step in Shredder's place? It would have to be familial. It would have to be in the family line. All right. So here's the thing. That's a more interesting story than ah, these 13 monsters. We got 13 monsters, we got a brotherhood, and we got the Foot Clan. Too much. Yes. Something's got to give. And the fact that, again, the Foot Clan, they're a cleanup crew. They what? They kind of just contain the monster until the Brotherhood shows up to actually catch it. Which is how they end up becoming a positive force. It's why Casey and April will eventually team up with the Foot. It's kind of strange because the climax starts with everyone kicking the ass of the Foot, but they come together because the Brotherhood is so much worse. Not the monsters, by the way. The Brotherhood. <laughs> well... 
13 monsters the Earth can deal with. The Brotherhood's plan is going to unleash even more monsters. It is? Yes. When they open the portal at the end, a ton more monsters come through. Did they say that? Did you see them? Is that evident in any way? You see them come out of the portal. Yeah, I I think the Brotherhood, because we find out the big twist is that Winters or Yaddle, he wants to die. He wants the Brotherhood to die. They don't want to, so they turn against him. I guess if they let even more monsters through the portal, they could stay stoned. They have these, I don't know, magic devices that make them living statues, and I guess that was the plan. More monsters, and they get to stay living statues, which make them immortal. That's all I can make out. Yeah, I'm not really sure what these generals were gaining. I kind of thought if I was a stone monolith that was lumbering around, I think that they would probably welcome death versus being monstrous as well. But no, it comes out in around the middle of the movie. They want to live their immortal stone lives. Here's the problem I have. I get that some people want to go into the portal and die. Some people don't. And the monsters want to be here or don't. I None of that makes any difference to me what i need to know is what do the turtles want and what do we as americans or new yorkers would want is it good that the portal is open or closed i cannot tell you whether we should have the portal shut or open as we head into the climax because i think the portal has to be open in order for yaudel to achieve what he wants but at the same time i couldn't follow what i was supposed to wish for I think it's supposed to be a little bit of a bait and switch as far as who we're rooting for, because initially we think we want them to stop Winters. What we're really supposed to root for is the Turtles forming a team. And throughout all of this monster chasing and things, they still haven't done that. Raph is still going out as the Night Watcher, and eventually... Leo goes after him, not even knowing it's Raphael, and the two of them have a massive fight. And this is probably the emotional core of the film. Well, but if emotion is contempt, yes, I hate Raphael at this point. I hate Leo when he's like, I am better than you. I am the leader because I am better than you. I said at the beginning of this podcast, this should be the opening scene. This should be what got Splinter to kick Leo's butt down to Central America to learn to be a better leader. Like, you don't spend all this time learning to lead and then tell us. If I did that as a manager, I am a manager. If I'm like, dude, I'm a manager because I'm better than all of you. All my employees would quit. None of them would want to work for me. This is <laughs> awful leadership. And at this point, he's supposed to be the leader. He should be able to talk Raph into giving up this vigilante thing and becoming a brother again. But you know what I love is his ego. He says he's better than Raph right before Raph beats him. So this is where Leo realizes that isn't the right tact. That isn't why he's the leader. Yeah, I I don't know why he is the leader. Keep in mind, yeah, you may not like Leo because he says he's better than Raph, but I understand his anger in saying it. I've hated Raph in in this movie. I've just hated the fact that he quit the team again. He's so tiresome. His antisocial... I'm like, yeah, you go and do your own thing. It'll be a trio of turtles. That's fine. Three mutant ninja turtles. We could. Ch- it's just called TMNT. We can make that first T anything we want to. <laughs> but he is very tiresome. I thought we were through this angst after the first movie, but now I realize that every story must involve Leo and Raph battling for power, with the outcast always proven to be more obnoxious. I I just liked the fight. I liked the raindrops, the animation. I thought it had a good feel. And I guess I'm coming down the middle between you two because I see both sides in this argument and I'm not rooting for either of them. I'm just sad to see brothers fight. Brothers don't fight. Brothers (laughs) hug. No, I get that. 
What it does come down to, I think there is, as much as I don't think this makes logical sense for the story that they are trying to tell, I think. I don't, I'm not sure what the story is they're trying to tell, but the one that I'm writing in my head as I'm watching this, it is an emotional moment. I do like that moment where Raph uses his size and he breaks the swords to Leo, and there is an emotional strength there, at least for a kid's show, you know, aimed to 12-year-olds. There's something there, and it, it gets to me. that It's a powerful moment for what this is. Yes, this isn't leaving Las Vegas the Turtles no. edition. <laughs> <laughs> but for what it is, it's, you know. <laughs> My five-year-old was upset, and so was I. Yeah, it, it is, I would say, too strong a note, quite frankly, for this moment. Raph has gone too far. His rebellion before has been cute, and now I'm like, yeah, you need to go. Permanently. Well, this was far more interesting to me than anything else this movie had to offer. I was into this movie for the Leo Raphael angst, but you get the rest of this, what I called the mummy light in my notes, I'm not into it. It's the interpersonal turtle relationships, the interpersonal relationships that I'm into, not any of the rest. And after this point in the film, the last half hour, that's all it's about. Which isn't to say there's not some fun there, that 13th little monster with the Black Betty music going and all that. It's, it's kind of amusing, but it's just not holding my interest the way Raphael and Leonardo fighting in the rain did. Now, they've screwed up with the count here, because when Raph and Leo are fighting, it's right after they've gone to a diner and one ate bomb, they called it a spicy meatball, and blew up. It was a little thing. So that was the 13th monster they didn't get, that when the Foot Clan and the Brotherhood come, they use Leo as a proxy instead. But then they bring in another monster. Yeah, but when they finally get the 13th monster, it's enormous and looks nothing like that creature. So there were 14 monsters. <laughs> I caught that too. I'm like, they can't even keep... I can't keep track of all the villains no. in this film, and they can't keep track of their own monsters. Yeah. My five-year-old knows how to count better than these people do. <laughs> Maybe it mutated after the meatball? Maybe. If you want to give them a pass... If you feel that gracious, you can lead the way. I will bow to you, leader. You can get us to the end of this movie. Because I'm better than you. <laughs> no, because this movie is worse than I wanted. <laughs> and I just don't want to try anymore. Yeah, we get a climax, a lot of kicking. Like I said, a lot of reversals. They're fighting the foot, then they're teaming with the foot. And then the foot is like, okay, but next time I see you, we'll be enemies. Okay, ta-ta. <laughs> I liked seeing Splinter kick some ass. I'll just say that I enjoyed that the way I enjoyed seeing Yoda kick ass in episode two. I never thought I'd see Splinter break out the moves. I thought he'd just kind of sit back with his arthritic rat self and deal with it. But the monsters are coming out of the portal and he's batting them right back in. Hey, he wants to wrap this fight up. He's got General Hospital to get back to. Yeah, this is what gets him moving. This is Japanese actor Mako's final role. And yes, what it's best known for is him saying he wants to see his stories. Not quite on the level of Orson Welles in the Transformers cartoon, but close. Yeah, I, yeah, Mako has had decades working as Hollywood's most famous Japanese actor when, quite frankly, we didn't have many in the movie screens. And yeah, that he goes out this way. I mean, I guess it's nice that he gets a fight, but no, not my favorite Mako performance. Now, in the original ending, but Peter Laird vetoed this, Raphael was going to die, and then Leonardo was going to resurrect him using some of the armor. You had me, then you lost me. Uh, <laughs> you yeah. just wanted Raph dead. I, you know what? If you're going to go for it, go for it. But magic armor, come on. 
Yeah, that's the problem is there's too much of this kind of silly magic foofery. I mean, we needed hard rules here. I needed concreteness. We don't need more magic spells that reverse things. We needed consequences. This happens because that happened. No, I didn't need any more magic happening in this movie. That if if Raph died and they found a plausible way to bring him back into the story, sure, that would be maybe a heart tugger. But no, I, I don't know that it would have improved any sentiment I had by the end of this. And the end to me is just a lot of video gaming without a controller. I mean, it looks good, but there's only so much of it I can take. And I kind of lose it when Casey and April leave to do the real mission of find that 13th monster. And the rest of them, the whole point is just to fight to a stalemate. It's good looking fights, but nothing the turtles do is going to matter. It's really on April and Casey. Here's what should have happened. If the Turtles were a fractious group that ended up coming together under Splinter and the new leadership of Leo, then that also should have been a lesson that they taught the Brotherhood and Yaudel. And the Brotherhood and Yaudel should have gone into the portal or done whatever Yaudel wanted in agreement, in solidarity. It shouldn't have been a battle. It should have been them realizing what the Turtles realized. Then you've taught a lesson. This... This is just a big old fight until the money runs out and they're done. I'm telling you, get rid of the 13 monsters. That's the problem here. But then you wouldn't have the ending when Casey and April just drive their van in and it's all over. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Yeah, we're going to go find the 13th monster. Oh, we found it. Here it is. Like, it's not even suspenseful. We found one. We don't know how they got it or how they dragged it back. I guess it was with the help by the foot. Again, maybe that's another fractious group. We're seeing the foot work with the good guys, except again, Karai says, oh, by the way, next time we see, I won't be so nice. So that made me think, oh, there must be a cartoon just around the corner where every week uh, Karai and her gang are going to be causing trouble. No, no, that was planned for the sequel. Ugh. They intended this to be more successful than it was, and they had several ideas planned out for the next stories, one of which, and the most likely, would be the return of Shredder and that Karai was keeping him hidden. There was also another idea to bring in a character, a homeless guy called the Rat King, who I loved as a teenager. I would have been interesting to see him realized on screen, but... No, this movie had no legs, and so we never did get the follow-up story. But it was not from a cartoon or anything else. It was this own cinematic universe. But is that enough? Jacob Stewart, is TMNT bitchin' or bogus? Jacob. You know, I, I feel like, man, we have a bad record when it comes to animated films. We haven't got to the good ones yet. I, I think that's the problem. <laughs> but, you know, I look at this one and there's some funny antics with the monster, especially that little one that Raph is trying to catch. I think your five-year-old would like that, Stuart. And there's lots of fights and there's some actually cool action, the motorcycles, the skateboards. As an adult, th this plot, I can't follow this thing. It There's... Too much going on. Whereas with that Turtles 3, like that, that had nothing going on. And I had no idea why things were happening here. There's reasons. I think it's just so convoluted. I have a hard time following it, but I think if I'm babysitting your kids, Stuart, I think they're enjoying it. And every once in a while, I won't mind looking up at the screen, seeing some decent animation, seeing some exciting battles. It's a weak recommend for me. Weak, weak recommend. It's not for adults, but for the group that it's aimed for. Yeah. I, Think it works. So weak recommend. Stuart. 
Yeah, that's exactly the problem, Jacob, is my kids and I are in disagreement. We're in as much dysfunction as the turtles are in the beginning of this movie. All three of them like this movie. I staunchly did not. And you know what? <laughs> this is not a democracy. It's not three against one. They win. This is a red arrow. I'm the leader. I'm better than you. You're the kids. You're going to listen to Danny. This movie sucked. I'm sorry. It sucked. Don't worry, kids. I'll sneak the DVD over when I babysit. <laughs> yeah, you'll have to. I'll send them over to you. You can have them, actually. They're imaginary. I can just hand them off. Well, we got one more week to go. You can give them to me after. The- You're right. I'll keep them around. I'll keep them around for that. But man, no, this is highly unenjoyable to me. And yeah, it does continue a trend that seems to paint me as an animation hater. I swear I'm not. But yeah, this is why I don't see a lot of animated films. There's a lot of half-baked, marginal efforts like this that just make me not want to bother i mean when i don't enjoy an animated film i really don't enjoy it and so yeah red arrow and i'm just right there on the line i mean both times watching this the whole storyline about the aztecs and the monsters and things just didn't get me but damn if i can't say this may have the best turtle characterization of any of the four films we've watched and so it's just right there. It's like, whatever I do, it's either a weak not recommend because the main plot is really dull and the animation, it's good but not phenomenal. Or it's a weak recommend because it has pretty good animation, it has some great visuals to it, and it's got the good turtle storyline. I'm going to eke down on a weak, weak, weak recommend. I think that there's enough here, especially for people who did like anything previous with the Turtles, that you're going to find stuff to like. I know we gave him some hell. I laughed at Splinter and his stories. I thought there were some pretty decent jokes going on here. I liked the Gym Class Heroes and credit song Shell Shock. I may be alone on that one, but yes. I thought it was a pretty good song. I went out and got the CD. Sounded like they were <laughs> rapping over the Bond theme. No, I wasn't down with it. <laughs> it's a mess of a story, but overall, it's just enough turtle goodness. It's honestly the best turtle story we've had. I just wish they had a plot that served them better. <laughs> it was a bad plot, but it was the best we've had yet. Boy, I'm so glad we're doing this series. <laughs> I'm sure it'll be much better when we get to Michael Bay and Megan Fox. Man, you know something, Stuart? You are so lucky, though. You are so lucky, but I feel so unlucky because as part of my research for this, I saw another Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie that was intended for theatrical release. Woo! Man, I just feel like a ghost walked over my grave or something. I I dodged a bullet. All right. It wasn't released in Czechoslovakia or anything? Woo! Thank you! Thank you, bad distributors. I'm so glad. Because of your feeling, I get to survive this. All right, Arnie, give me the short story. What did I miss? Yeah, this is the end of that 2003 Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles series. The series actually went on for about six years. It looked like it was struggling as they changed things up a lot, like they went to the future and just tried to keep it going. It didn't seem to catch on. But... When they realized that this movie here, this animated one, didn't take on, in 2009, for the 25th anniversary of the Turtles, they did this movie called Turtles Forever. Ironic. Sounds as good as Batman Forever. And it was going to be in theaters for one night 
in October of 2009, but dispute between Four Kids Entertainment and Fathom Events, so the Canadian company and then that one that brings the operas to your theater. Yeah, yeah. I've seen those ads. It was canceled. Thank you. <laughs> Opera and Turtles. That's yeah. And they're the ones who keep re-editing the Star Trek The Next Generation episodes into movies, too. But... I watched this because I was curious about this. This sounded really interesting to me. The 2003 Turtles cartoon was a little bit harder edged than that 80s one. It was st still slightly softer than the movie we just reviewed, but it had the Turtles more 21st century. In Turtles Forever, an interdimensional rift opens and the Turtles from the 80s cartoon come and have to team up with the turtles from the 2003 cartoon who are like, who are these imbeciles? What is their problem? Why do they want peanut butter on pizza? They are all idiots. Oh, that's great. It's just like X-Men, Days of Future Past. You got the old cast, the new <laughs> cast together. Or, yeah, what could go wrong? No, and I think, don't the comic book turtles come into it, too? Yes, at the very end, they go in, because what happens is, it turns out the bad guys from the 2003 are much eviler, too. Like, the bad guys from the 80s cartoon show up and literally just get slapped by the real bad guys who are like, you are what? Oh, come on, no one's more evil than Krang. <laughs> Krang is completely made fun of in this other universe, but it's Krang's interdimensional technology, and the 2003 Shredder, he just wants to kill all the turtles, and so he discovers there's a multiverse of turtles. Now, this is where it changed. The movie we just reviewed, the director, when he made it, considered it to be part four of the cinematic universe. Per Turtles Forever, there's all these different dimensions, and this movie is in a different dimension than the live-action movies, in a different dimension than the image cartoon, and a different dimension from the original cartoon. But to stop all the Turtles, they go to Turtles Prime, which is the original issue number one Eastman and Laird black and white universe. So you have the 80s kitty cartoons, the 2003 teen cartoons, and these hard-ass Turtles who are just like... You guys are a bunch of sellout pussies and who, like, try to kill them. So this is made only for fans. This is only for the hardcore of the hardcore. Nobody else would understand that. My kids, I, we wouldn't follow this movie at all. That is my fear, is that because you hadn't done all the research I've done and relived all the turtles I've relived in the past few years, you wouldn't get it. You'd look at this and you'd need me to explain it for 90 minutes, but I swear to God, for anyone who likes anything about turtles, Turtles Forever is the best turtles movie made. I'm going to have to check this out now. It's really, really funny, especially, again, if you watch that 80s cartoon, even if you haven't watched it in 20 years, to just see 80s villains dealing with 20 21st century villains and then to go back to the black and white universe and Eastman and Laird even cameo in it I mean this sounds like a Charlie Kaufman turtle movie all right <laughs> kind of I like it for its animation I liked it for its humor truthfully I again I wouldn't want to explain it to Stuart for 90 minutes but it's the one I can actually give a full-fledged recommend to for anyone who's done anything with turtles unless Michael Bay can pull it off the best movie they've made is <laughs> turtles forever the one we haven't reviewed. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, and that's because Turtles After Turtles Forever was bought by Nickelodeon. They bought it part and parcel. The original creators finally decided, even though Laird still has a few rights, they decided, ah, eh, we'll, we'll take the money and run after 30 years. And here, for the Turtles' 30th anniversary after a successful, though I find it unwatchable, relaunch that has made Mutant Ninja Turtles a hot toy once again, here comes the next movie. Okay, so they're on TV right now? Yeah. The Turtles have a successful cartoon? I, I wondered about that. I have seen grown men walking the street in classic Turtles t-shirts lately. I don't know who the marketing people are in this movie, but they're really pushing that nostalgia and the love of that 80s stuff. I still feel like that's where it's at. Maybe I'm wrong, but I feel like the movie they've made, we'll know when we get to see it, but I feel like they're going after us. I don't know that they're necessarily going after any kid's audience watching a cartoon right now. I guess the idea is to get both? I think that's it, because like I said on our first show, a co-worker of mine last Christmas was begging me to help him find this Mutant Ninja Turtle playset for his kid that was going for three times the price on eBay. Turtles are hot with kids right now. They are one of the best-selling toys right now in boys' action figures. So I think the goal is cross the board, get us all in, get the nostalgia in, but also definitely have something for the kids. But its expected rating is PG-13, so not the youngest of kids, I guess. Mm. Worked for Transformers, apparently. That's true. Well, we'll know what we get when we get there, but we got a movie in between, guys. We got more anthropomorphic animals to enjoy at a PG-13 rating. Guardians of the Galaxy. That's right. I am looking forward to that. We are taking a week off of Turtles so we can go to space with a raccoon. And rumor has it a duck. What? That's no. Rumored. That is rumored. <laughs> that is rumored. Well, you know what? I will say this. If they were thinking about relaunching Howard the Duck, it will look tame by comparison to what visuals I've been seeing in the promotion of this movie. Oh, I hope he's there. I've purchased a number of props from Howard the Duck, the film, actual movie props. That My investment will quadruple if he shows up in an <laughs> Avengers film, but... <laughs> Why wouldn't they? I mean, they got a tree, they got a green woman. Like, clearly they're going for madcap on this. This is the humor one. This is the funny one. Even more than the Thor films, they're going for, you know, gonzo, midnight movie kind of humor. Maybe it'll work, but I can't say that the concept has gelled with me yet. I think this might be Marvel's fiasco. I think it's going to work. I'm optimistic. I've been to the IMAX 17-minute preview screening. I've been watching this film develop. I think it's going to surprise people. The question is, can it break into an audience when they like, so where's Iron Man? But I'm hopeful we will be reviewing that next week here at NowPlayingPodcast.com. And also, when that movie comes out this Friday, our spring donation drive ends it is the last chance to hear our planet of the apes matrix jupiter ascending speed racer podcast they are going in the vault this friday so if you want to hear those podcasts and support our show and help us to do two weekend of release theatricals in a row which is very hard on the editors all of our editors just that is rough and seeing the movies and seeing the imax screenings and the equipment, all of that is paid for by your donation. We don't have any sponsors. We don't have any advertisers. And we don't want that kind of infringement where we couldn't give our honest opinions about things. So if you want to support our show, we are currently saying thank you for that with 
six podcasts for a donation of $10 or more. That's four Matrix podcasts plus Speed Racer now and whenever the hell it comes out, Jupiter Ascending. And for a donation of $25 or more, you get eight more podcasts in addition. All the Planet of the Apes podcasts, including the new one. And there was a great conversation about that. You definitely want to hear that. Apes better than turtles! Just saying. <laughs> I won't disagree. It was an attempt at Caesar, but it almost became Hulk, man. <laughs> it really kind of <laughs> did. I was like, I'm like, ape shall not kill turtle? What? It sounded more Aldo than Caesar. So you can find out all the details by clicking the banner at the top of nowplayingpodcast.com. So Jacob Stewart, thank you for joining me. You bet. And until next time, cowabunga, dudes! First battle, Master Splinter. They were many, but we kicked. We fought well. I suggest we all meditate now on the events of this evening. Thank you for listening to this episode of the now playing Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles retrospective series. Money cannot buy the honor you have earned tonight. We hope you've enjoyed the show. Will I ever see you guys again? Well, that depends on how fast you stock your pizza. Come back to NowPlayingPodcast.com each week as we review another Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles film. It's going to be quite a party. Well, what do we do now? In the NowPlayingPodcast.com archives, you can find many more reviews on series such as G.I. Joe, Transformers, Tron, Terminator, Star Trek, Spider-Man, The Avengers, and more. Okay, Turtles, let's move out. You can also find individual movie reviews such as Avatar, Fight Club, Godzilla, Pacific Rim, and more. I knew it, I'm missing all the fun. Find hundreds of movie review podcasts at nowplayingpodcast.com. We yeah, find you. I'm sorry, that came across super creepy, okay? Hey. Support from listeners like you help keep now playing operating. I must warn you, we do not come cheap. Does it look like money is of any concern to me? You can find a link to donate using PayPal at the bottom of our website, nowplayingpodcast.com. Maybe I should write this down. Now Playing's Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle series is edited by Heath, Phil, Casper, and Arnie. Our domain is the shadow. Stray from it reluctantly. For when you do, you must strike hard and fade away without a trace. Now Playing credit narration by Brock. You certainly can turn a phrase, my lord. Now Playing is not affiliated with Mirage Studios, Playmates Toys, New Line Cinema, Imaji Animation Studios, Warner Brothers Pictures, Nickelodeon Movies, or Platinum Dunes Entertainment. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and all of the TMNT universe contained is the property of Nickelodeon, a subsidiary of Viacom, and no infringement is intended. What does all that mean in American? The opinions expressed on Now Playing are those of the individual hosts and 
may not reflect the opinion of Venganza Media Incorporated. Your mouth may yet bring you much trouble. Shuck it. Now playing is the Venganza Media production. Copyright 2014. All rights reserved. And no part of this show may be reproduced, repurposed, or redistributed without the written permission of Venganza Media Incorporated. Well, dudes, I'd say that's pretty much a wrap. Yep. Uh, Cowabunga? Hmm? Cowabunga. Yeah. Yeah. Cowabunga. Awesome. Which has become a band of mercenaries led by Kairi since Kairi. Kairi. It's hard to know once you Kairi. write it down and like you, yeah. the sound isn't I in your head. I try to write it down. Kairi. Kairi. I wrote it down phonetically at the top of my notes so I could reference mm-hmm. it. Yeah. Which has become a band of mercenaries led by Kairi. Which has become a band of mercenaries led by Kairi. 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 Wicked! Who published this? That's a good question. Oh, you don't know? Okay, never mind then. <laughs> um, here we go. Uh, I don't know who had the rights when this movie came out. Yeah, it wasn't IDW, see. was it? Eclectic! I kind of wanted to relive my teenage years and see... Sh- Hold on, I've got dogs. Hold on, I'll be right back. Let me take this opportunity to open my beverage. <laughs> and no, it's not alcohol. <laughs> Although I wish it was. I drank all that to get the No, no, you need need to save that for corn. (laughs) Oh, my God. Woo! Yeah, if I thought Turtles was unfun, just wait till our next franchise. (laughs) Can't believe you guys aren't going to like on corn. We'll see. (laughs) All right, here we go. Awesome! My five-year-old girl likes to see positive female role models on screen, and I think that this is... I thought is... it was a five-year-old boy. But yeah, okay. I thought it was, too. No, you guys are getting it wrong. It's five-year-old girl, seven-year-old boy, 12-year-old boy. I know my kids. I don't have names for them, but I know their ages and genders. Okay. I'm glad your five-year-old girl is so into uh, post-feminist role models at age five and not, you know, Barbie. Hey, he's teaching them about crane shots at age five. I believe they're into feminism, too. <laughs> Righteous! They're led by a female now, Korai. And Karai. they are reduced... Korai? Korai. Korai? Korai. 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 Okay, got it. Korai. Like cry, except you, you know, make it two led- syllables. <laughs> when Dove's Korai. They're led by Korai now. <laughs> yeah. Give me three! You got it! Korai the ninja. Is that right? Yeah. Korai? Okay. If I was a stone monolith that was lumbering around, I might welcome death, too. I mean, it's kind of hard to get laid when you're stone. You're always rock hard. (laughs) That's true. No Viagra needed. (laughs)